Amen. This morning, would you please join me in Mark chapter 10. Mark chapter 10. Hello. Wonderful to see you. Great, great, great. So nice to get to see some people that have been away, coming back. Good to see new faces with us. I appreciate you folks being here this morning. Mark chapter 10, verse number 46. While everybody's finding that, let me just remind the people at home, if, if any of you are interested to, to come out for one of our public services, you're more than welcome to contact the church, and we will do our utmost to uh, put you into the rotation. And if you have any questions about how the procedures um, operate and, and how things go these days, just to make yourself more comfortable about coming out, please feel free. We're more than happy to, to answer your questions. Mark chapter 10, and let's read together verses 46 down to 52. Mark 10, verse 46 to 52. The Bible says, And they came to Jericho. And as he went out of Jericho with his disciples and a great number of people, blind Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, sat by the highway side begging. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. And many charged him that he should hold his peace. But he cried the more a great deal, Thou son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stood still and commanded him to be called. And they called the blind man, saying unto him, Be of good comfort, rise, he calleth thee. And he, casting away his garment, rose and came to Jesus. And Jesus answered and said unto him, what wilt thou that I should do unto thee? The blind man said unto him, Lord, that I might receive my sight. And Jesus said unto him, Go thy way. Thy faith hath made thee whole. And immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus in the way. If you would, please bow your heads with me. And let's ask God to help us with this sermon today, the miracle of mercy. Father, thank you this story I believe it can speak to us on a number of levels. Lord, you know the need of everybody's heart that is, that is listening, whether they're here in person or sitting at home. I pray that you would speak to all of us. Please, Father, fill me with your spirit and use me only as a vessel today. And Lord, thank you for your great mercy that endures forever. Your mercies that are new every morning. And Lord, we, we beg for that once again. Have mercy on us, thou son of David. Meet with us today, minister to us, and we ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Now this story tells us about one of many of Jesus' great miracles. You think about the things that he did, offering hearing to the deaf and loosing the tongue of the dumb raising the dead these are impressive things but one of his and this is a little bit subjective but one of his more impressive miracles is opening the eyes of the blind it's something he repeatedly did and even society recognized this is something that no other prophet anywhere has been able to do they said we've never heard of this miracle since the foundation of the world that somebody could open the eyes of the blind especially as it pertains to somebody who was born blind. So the miracle of giving sight to the blind, that's impressive by itself. But I'd actually like to dig a little deeper and talk about the catalyst. What moved Jesus to do this miracle of healing the blind man, giving him sight? And that's why, as you can see on your papers, as you can see on your screen at home, the title of today's sermon is The Miracle of Mercy. I believe this story, it's amazing to hear about a blind man being able to see. The miracle by itself is tremendous. But I believe at the root of this story, we have to consider the wonderful subject of mercy. Why would I call it a miracle? Why call mercy a miracle. Let me, and on your paper here, this is the first three things that you can fill in if you would like. Mercy, or I'm sorry, miracle can be understood in three ways. Number one, and I'm taking this from the average dictionary. 
Number one, a deviation from known laws of nature. Notice, not a contradiction, but a deviation from. A deviation from the known laws of nature. I'd like to say this about our human nature. Would you agree with me that it's just how humanity operates? We are often prone to selfishness, to dealing with people harshly. We are prone to let anger get the better of us and hold a grudge instead of being forgiving. That, to me, is part of our human, our fallen nature. So when we talk about a miracle, we're talking about a deviation from the laws of nature. So somebody who is capable of mercy, of not just and a singular act of mercy here and there, but being what Jesus called a merciful man. I see that as a miracle. Which leads me to number two, the, the second way you can understand a miracle, a supernatural event. I think this flows very, it's very similar, right, to, to the first definition I gave you, a supernatural event. Supernatural. So a deviation from nature might still fall under natural, but it can be something exceptional. People would see that as a miracle. But then a miracle could also be supernatural. That is, God has stepped in. Something from beyond the natural realm has stepped in and done something. The fact that we are capable of mercy, to me, is one of the proofs that there is a God. If we are simply dancing to the drumbeat of our DNA, then all we would be considering is the survival of the fittest, right? We would just be trying to survive. And mercy really wouldn't be of great value in that system. The fact that we as, a, as, as human beings, we consider mercy to be a, a valuable commodity that is such a precious thing. Why would we think like that? I don't think that's, that comes from uh, simple DNA, simple nature by itself. I think it's something from outside of nature. I think it proves that something greater than us built us and built that into us, the ability to deal with people kindly, compassionately, to overlook a fault. I think that proves that there's something greater than us at work. Thirdly, and this was actually, when I looked in the, di in the dictionary, this was the first definition. I saved it for the last because it surprised me the most. A wonderful work. That's the third possibility for defining a miracle. A wonderful work. I, you have to forgive me. I'm going to speak in tongues now just for a moment. But don't worry, I will interpret Yella in Afrikaans, yella say, wonderwerk. Now, please be merciful with my accent. <laughs> okay. A, a wonderwerk. Wonderwerk. Isn't that one of the ways that you say miracle? It is a wonderwerk. The fact, right? Ek praat no Afrikaans, dis a wonderwerk. Yella seen no a wonderwerk. <laughs> you are seeing now a miracle for those of you that don't speak Afrikaans I told you I'd have to interpret most of you already know that but do you see built into your language is the definition of miracle it is a wonderful work in Chichewa I'm speaking tongues in Chichewa the word for miracle one of our words is chodabuitsa Chodabuitsa. Let me break this down. Kudabwa. If somebody says ndigudabwa, it means I am surprised. If I say ndigudabuitsa, it means I'm making you surprised. To say chodabuitsa, it is a thing that is making you surprised. Chodabuitsa. You know what? Sometimes when people or when God shows you a great act of mercy, it can really catch you by surprise. Because it's just not typical amongst human nature. 
And why would God, being the great and holy and most high God, the just God, the righteous God that he is, how can he also at the same time, while holding a high standard, still be so kind and patient and long-suffering and merciful? It can sometimes take your breath away how wonderful, how surprising that act of mercy can be. We have another word in Chichewa we use for miracle. We can say chodabuitsa. You can also say chozizwa. Kuzizwa, wonderful word. It's, it's a little more than surprise. It is, in English, I think the equivalent is I am astonished. I am astonished. I'm working my way through the languages. Be patient. In the King James Bible, we have the word astonished. But there's another word that is linked to it. We don't use it anymore. It's an old English word that is to be astonied. Astonied. Now, now I'm not talking about left-handed cigarettes. <laughs> not that kind of astonied, okay? But to be astonied is it stopped you in your tracks. That, that's what that word means. Astonied is it made you like a stone. You just, the thing was so surprising, you went... <gasps> You didn't know what to say. You didn't know how to react. Literally breathtaking. You stop breathing for a moment. <gasps> You're so surprised. I think you can see as we read this story how Bartimaeus probably had one of those astonied moments. The fact that he received his sight, that's wonderful. But there's something even deeper and even more precious than his sight the creator of the universe now walking amongst us in human form made time for him that must have been surprising that must have gotten his attention and I want to say that mercy is one of the most wonderful and surprising things you'll ever experience in life I know this personally and I'm sure you do as well but in 2009, I began to go through a very rough patch in life, very difficult time. Coincidentally, I signed up to do a master's degree at the same time as a lot of other things began to go wrong. I signed up to do my master's degree through the Bible Doctrine Institute. A church in Jacksonville, Florida offers this, this Bible Institute by correspondence. The pastor's name is David Peacock. Maybe you know the name. I had heard Brother Peacock preach in person several times. If any of you think that I ever preach rough, <laughs> David Peacock can preach the paint off the walls. I mean, he, he can really let her rip. As time has gone on, Brother Peacock, like all of us, life has a way of chipping away at the hardness of our exterior. He was a police captain for many years. He'd seen some very difficult things and it was just kind of who he was to preach in a very rough manner. And because of that, I'd never had any personal interaction with him. I had only heard him preach. I just assumed that there would be very little room for patience or mercy, very little understanding. If I didn't do everything perfectly, that he would fail me straight away. I had two years to complete my master's degree. 2009, I started. By 2011, my time in Malawi had come to a close and I was leaving Malawi. I had come to South Africa. I was going to spend a couple months here. I was invited to preach a revival in Gauteng. And I was also searching around for the will of God. That's, I visited Pachastruum for the first time. I stayed here for a few weeks and God answered a lot of prayers while I was here. But... When I, when I first came down, I had just recovered from my seventh case of malaria. I was still very sick and weak. And I went to preach at the church that invited me. And after I got done, I went to a different church in Gauteng where David Peacock had been invited to come from America and preach in a special meeting. The time for my master's degree had lapsed. I should have failed. And I was very ashamed. I knew after all I'd gone through, there's no reason this man 
He doesn't, he doesn't owe me mercy. He should fail me. And I feared to step into the room that day because I knew at the end of the service, I'm going to shake his hand. I'll introduce myself. He'll know who I am. He'll know that I failed. And because I had heard him preach and he was such a kind of guy, I thought, I, I, I did tremble in my spirit a little bit. Man, I don't know if I can take it. I was so embarrassed, so ashamed. After he got done preaching, he came down. He was greeting people. I waited patiently. I grabbed his hand and I said, Brother Peacock, he said, an American. <laughs> I said, yeah, it, it stands out when you're in a foreign country. An American. I said, yes. I, I said, I'm, I'm Mike Flick. I'm the missionary you know from Malawi. And he said, Brother Flick. You don't look well. I said, well, brother, I've been going through a tough time. And he said, I, I couldn't believe it. I thought that I was going to get a harsh reaction. This man, he's a big man, strong man. He took me aside privately. Everybody else wanted to talk to him. He took me aside privately, put his arm around me. He said, tell me what you've been going through. I couldn't believe he was giving me a private audience to share my heart. He listened patiently as I told him in about five minutes everything that had been going on. And, and I said, brother, to be honest, I've been a little worried about this conversation, about telling you why I didn't finish my master's degree. And he said, you know, I was a little concerned why you didn't finish. But we'd love to give you more time. To tell you what, how much time do you need? That he's letting me set the terms? I said, well, brother, I don't deserve. He said, I'm not asking what you deserve. I'm asking how much time you need. I said, brother, if I work hard, I think I can finish by this time. He said, that's how much time you get. And he wrapped his arm around me and gave me a hug. And he said, brother, I'm here for you. Anything you need. If you need help, if you need more time, just let me know. I'm happy to accommodate, happy to help. That man's time, attention, his compassion, the mercy that he showed me, it is now, as I look back, one of the pivotal moments in my life because I did not know if I was going to be able to go on in the ministry. I was so weak and so discouraged and frustrated with myself. I wasn't sure if God would still use me. And I believe that day God used David Peacock as a vessel of mercy. And the mercy that was shown to me, it did change my life. I consider that a miracle of mercy. I want to use that to segue back into our story and show you a few aspects of this miracle of mercy. Let's look back through the story. Point number one. You can see we have six points to work through. Point number one, verses 46 and 47. I believe we see a cry for consideration a cry for consideration they came to Jericho and as he went out of Jericho his disciples a great number of people blind Bartimaeus the son of Timaeus sat by the highway side begging you realize there's a lot of people moving about and you would expect to see beggars strewn up and down this highway this is where they're going to find the most opportunities for help Verse 47, when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, you can read in the other Gospels, in Matthew and in Luke, there was actually two men. Bartimaeus was, he's the one we know by name, but he had a friend there as well. They begin to ask the crowd, who is this? Who's passing by? What's all the commotion? They could see this is a big deal. Whoever's coming through town has an entourage. You can hear it. So they start saying, what's going on? What's going on? 
people say, this is Jesus of Nazareth. This is the guy that we've heard he can open the eyes of the blind. Don't you know their ears perked up then? Did you say Jesus? Oh, this is my chance. This is my chance. And when he, when he had heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. There is a cry for consideration. I believe Bartimaeus represents a cry that can still be heard to this day, the world. The world, generally speaking, is crying out for mercy on a daily basis. The specifics of your cry, the problem that you're experiencing, the pain that's gripping your heart, it might be different for all of us. But there is a cry that goes out every day all over the world. And it is a cry saying, please have mercy. Have mercy. There's two different ways to understand the mercy that needs to be given. Two reasons why people would cry for it. Number one, if I can simply put it like this, the cry would be, please forgive me. I know I've messed up. Last week, you remember, <laughs> we didn't have an outline. Maybe you don't remember. <laughs> but I preached on, on being happy to be hungry. And at the end of that sermon, I encouraged you to, to pray and say, God, search my heart. Jeremiah prayed it like this, correct me, O Lord. And maybe throughout the week, God has put his finger on certain things in your life that need to be fixed. And from time to time, folks, this is good for us to confess our sins to the Lord. Might I also say it's good for us from time to time to confess our sins to each other. Not asking eternal forgiveness, right? You can't gain eternal forgiveness from a friend. But if you have wronged somebody, it's very necessary to go to that person. Isn't that what the Bible commands us to do? If, if someone's offended you, you're supposed to go to that person, tell them what they've done, and give them the chance to say, I'm sorry, please forgive me. Maybe the cry that's going out is, I messed up, I'm sorry. Please forgive me. What a wonderful cry it would be if one of you, if somebody listening today would recognize that they've never been saved they've never been born again which means that their sins are not forgiven and if you were to feel the weight of all of those sins resting on your soul we could we completely understand why your soul would cry out and say lord jesus please have mercy forgive me and it's wonderful to know the blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, cleanses us from all sin. Isn't that wonderful? Isn't that a, a wunderwerk? Isn't, isn't that a wonderful thing? It's, a, it's the miracle of mercy that God has made a way for us to be completely forgiven. I consider it a, a miracle. It's beyond the natural that God is faithful and just when we confess our sins to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness that's not natural we find it in the Lord I, I like how Ezra put it Ezra in chapter 9 he was acknowledging how God had punished the nation of Israel for 70 years in captivity and he said now you've brought us back from captivity and he, he made this statement seeing that thou our God has punished us less than our iniquities deserve I think that is the greatest biblical definition you'll find of mercy punishing you less than your iniquities deserve that's, that's one solid definition of mercy not getting what you deserve that can be God not punishing you that can be you not punishing someone else according to what they deserve, mercy. You know, there's another way to understand mercy, however. It can be as Ezra said, but it can also be this. 
It can be a cry of, for help. Simply this, help. Please take a moment to consider my situation. I want to let that sink in. Please take a moment to consider my situation. That is also another way of understanding mercy. In this story that we've read, did Bartimaeus confess any sins? No. Did he ask Jesus to save his soul? No. Did he cry out and say, Oh Lord, you've put your finger on my heart and this is wrong in my life. Please help me fix it. He did. That's not what he prayed. The mercy he is asking for is not the same mercy that we read about in Ezra or talked about in Ezra. The mercy he's asking for is consideration. Lord, please stop just for a moment and consider my lowly estate. He's asking for compassion, for pity, for care and concern. This is where, and I've, I've pointed this out, in, in Afrikaans, you guys have the word chanara. Now that word gets used over and over. It's, it's much like the word shame gets used here. Shame. That can be a good thing. It can be a bad thing. Chanara. When something happens, I hear it so many times. Oh, chanara. It, it just pops out. And I'm not saying that it's lost meaning. I'm just saying it, it can sometimes not carry its full meaning because of that. But chanara, and please correct me if I'm wrong, chanara, it means mercy. But it also means grace. Is this correct? All right. And for the longest time, I, I thought, well, shame. In Afrikaans, <laughs> in Afrikaans, you guys only have one word for those two things I, I thought that was a deficiency of some sort until I started looking deeper into the word mercy when you consider mercy as a plea for help compassion consideration care concern doesn't that fall under the heading of grace as well what Bartimaeus is asking for in our story is chanada so what do you mean by that brother Mike mercy or grace yes that is exactly what I mean. He's asking for a chanada. <laughs> I don't know if you've ever played this game. We used to play this when I was young. This is really a kind of a stupid game. <laughs> when you're young, you're bored. You make up silly games. I, I can't do it this morning. I would maybe ask Baltimore or somebody to help me illustrate it, but we have to have social distancing, so I can't you're going to have to have some imagination. You start the game like this with another person mirror, mirroring you, mi mirroring you. So I put my hands out, and the other person puts his hands in mine like this, right? And then you squeeze. You're not allowed to kick or headbutt or bite or spit. We had to make up those rules. <laughs> People cheat. <laughs> but you put your hands in. One, two, three, go. And then you squeeze. Now, the advanced version of this game, you're allowed to turn. Right? You, can, you, can, you can twist their hands. You can push their hands back. You can even pull in and out. But you, you, can't, you can only move your arms. And you, you'd always start with the little guy and then work your way to the big guy's. Now, there's two ways that that game ends. There were two ways that we played it. When I first learned it, we called the game Mercy. The first one to cry Mercy loses. Do you guys have that here? Too? Oh, okay, good, good, good. The world's a small place. The other word you can say for it, tell me if you guys cried this, you'd have to cry Uncle. Did you guys say that as well? Did you say it in Afrikaans? <laughs> Did you say um? <laughs> that, that would seem so strange. Oh, um. 
Why does that not sound right? Did, did, did you cry, Uam? No, But did you cry, uncle? At least some of you know about that, right? It's, I, I don't know where that came from. Why the word uncle translates to mercy. I don't know why. But the reason I tell you this story is this. Sometimes you get gripped by the world. The pressures of life, whether it's your job, your family, relationships, friendships, school, raising children, all of these things can sometimes squeeze and the pressure and then COVID regulations squeeze and your mask gets tight and it squeeze. And, and you, the way we played it, we would, some of us would never say uncle. You can break my hand. I ain't gonna say mercy. We would literally go to our knees. The other guy is pushing us down and you go to your knees and you're, and you're struggling and you're shaking and you're trembling and you know I am about to break. Have mercy. The game stops. All you had to do was cry out for mercy. What are you asking for? Show me a little pity. The pressures of life are squeezing me so hard. I have got to find relief. Please take into consideration my weakness. Have mercy. Have mercy. Verse number 48. The cry of the world, I believe, is the cry of Bartimaeus. It's a cry for consideration. But then in verse 48, we're going to talk about the callous crowd. The callous crowd. C-A-L-L-O-U-S. If I'm, if my English is right. A callous crowd. When I say callous, we're talking about a, a hardness, a hardness of heart specifically, a callous crowd. Let me explain what I mean. In verse 48, many charged him that he should hold his peace. The crowd, as they hear these beggars crying out, have mercy, thou son of David, have mercy. The multitude that's moving quickly, past these people hey man Psh, hey shut up hey hey we got other things to do Shh. man you're you're interfering with our plans we got other things to do you're bugging us you're irritating me the crowd the response of the crowd seems very callous seems as if they're not taking time to consider the cry for consideration. Have you ever had a callous form on your hand? A any Bursia knows what I'm talking about. Now I'm talking the recta bur burmensa. I'm talking somebody working out in the garden with a hoe or on the farm, you know, working all day, uh, hammering. Ha if, if, if you're a guy that works with your hands, you know about calluses. It's it when something rubs and rubs and rubs, and it's it's the repeated friction or pressure or irritation on a spot. I used to this. I'm going to sound so silly here, but I used to my thumb, my right thumb, used to be one big callus because I was a ten pin bowler. I almost went professional right before I got saved, and because when you hold a bowling ball, you grip it with this thumb, especially. I, I, I would bowl sometimes 30 games a day. This entire thumb was just one massive callus. Repeated friction. You know where this beggar is at? Verse 46. He's on the highway side. You know what happens on a highway? People going by. Vroom, 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 vroom. It's just one after another, after another, after another, after another. It's just repeated friction. Every day, just going by, going by, going by. You know what your life is? Can I explain your life in a nutshell? Every day, here we go. Do it again, do it again. All right, wake up, go to work. 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 Oh. The repeated pressure of life can sometimes create a numbness. You can drive right past people and not even see them. You can walk right into the office and people, you know they're there, but your mind doesn't even register that they're there. The repetition of life can sometimes create a callous. 
and we stop feeling. We stop recognizing the cry of the people around us. I see here in verse 46, they came to Jericho and as he went out of Jericho, you see that? He got into town and boom, he's out of town. Doesn't that explain life so brilliantly? Man, I'm here, I'm gone. Then I'm here to the next place and then to the next place and then to the next place. We have little time for mercy. We have little time to stop and consider the needs of those around us. I want to make sure, I want to put this little, let's call it a PS into the message. I'm not suggesting that every time somebody cries out and says, hey, please help, you cannot stop and help every single person. Do you understand that? I'm not telling you to throw away discretion. Sometimes when somebody asks for help, the right answer is no. No. There are situations like that. You understand, even Jesus on occasion had to say that. But when it comes to those who are in genuine need of mercy, they should not be seen as a nuisance, but as an opportunity to be a vessel of mercy. You know, the people in this story, the crowd that were saying, shh, hey, Stop it. We're we're busy. We're on our way to Jerusalem. We got something big going on. Man, this is Jesus. We're heading to Jerusalem. This could be the next king of Israel. We don't have time for your little petty needs. Shh. I don't want to draw the wrong picture in your mind that the people who who were saying be quiet, I don't think they were wicked people. I really don't think they were trying to say we hate the poor, we don't want to help. I don't think they were being that wicked. I think they got distracted by what was going on. Let let me show you in the same chapter. Look at Mark 10, verse 13. Mark 10, verse 13. And they brought young children to him, that's to Jesus, that he should touch them, and his disciples rebuked those that brought them. Stop bringing the little kids around. Now, are we, what, what should we learn from this? Do you think the disciples hated children? I don't. That, that would, I think that would be exaggerating what's happening here, right? I don't think they hate children. You, you know why they said keep the little children away? Because they know Jesus is busy doing some other things, in their mind, bigger things. Now's not the time for the little kids. Verse 14, but when Jesus saw it, he was much displeased and said unto them, suffer the little children to come unto me and forbid them not, for of such is the kingdom of God. Verily I say unto you, whosoever shall not receive the kingdom of God as a little child, he shall not enter therein. And he took them up in his arms and put his hands upon them and blessed them. Did Jesus spend the rest of the day talking with the kids, playing with the kids? No, but he did take a little time for them. And he wasn't happy that the disciples had become a little distracted. Jesus is reminding them, I have time for mercy. In this same chapter, just let your eyes come down a little further. Verse 42. It says here, But Jesus called them to him and saith unto them, Ye know that they which are accounted to rule over the Gentiles exercise lordship over them. And their great ones exercise authority upon them. But so shall it not be among you, speaking to his disciples, his followers. But whosoever will be great among you shall be your, what? Shall be your minister. And whosoever of you will be the chiefest shall be servant of all. Verse 45, for even the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. Isn't it ironic? That's the lesson he just taught them. I am come to help. And from this time, he is moving. He's coming from the north. He's passing through Jericho on his way to Jerusalem. 
the next thing you're going to read in the gospel of Mark, in the gospel account, Jesus will have his, what we call the triumphant entry into Jerusalem. They're going to take the palm branches down, lay him in the streets, right? He, He rides in on the donkey and they proclaim Hosanna, right? These people were prepared to worship Jesus as the King of Kings. And when they heard the beggar crying out, they said, shh, we're on our way to church. Man, we got our palm branches. We're ready to make a big deal out of Jesus. We're ready to worship him, to exalt him. Jesus had just said, guys, I came to minister. The best of you will be the servant of all. I think it's good for us to be reminded every now and then, although we should worship, honor, praise, and exalt our King of Kings, we can sometimes get the idea in our minds that because I went to church and exalted the Lord and praised the Lord, somehow I've done my duty as a follower of Jesus Christ I believe there's more expected of us Jesus he is our savior yes but he's also our teacher let's not forget that what did he teach us blessed are the merciful Blessed are the merciful. This leads me to the next point. Chapter 10 and verse 49. We see in chapter 10 and verse 49 a caring creator. Our caring creator. Jesus stood still. Do you realize what a tremendous statement that is? If you've read the Gospels, you know that Jesus was an incredibly busy man. I've actually looked through the Gospels before just for this point. How many times did he stop and just stand still? There's not too many times he did. He's always doing something, helping someone on the move, being asked something, taken somewhere. Jesus is busy He's got this plan in mind. He's got to get to Jerusalem where he's going to be falsely arrested, make it to the cross. There's this big plan, yeah? And, and this massive crowd around him. And they all think he's a big deal. And one beggar crying out, Have mercy! Shh! Have mercy! going to bother the master master said not a bother I can hear that and he stops now if he stops guess what everything else stops (laughs) everything else around him stops he stops he stood still and he looks at his disciples and he says hey uh, go get that beggar bring him over here don't you know the crowd right away without Jesus saying a word felt rebuked because they had just been saying shh and Jesus stops says go get him bring him here oh my bad (laughs) I go get him (laughs) they went and got him brought him to Jesus What, what blows my mind about this verse the creator of the universe in human form in the middle of of an incredibly busy time with this lofty goal of going to the cross, fulfilling prophecy, saving mankind, makes time to stop and listen to what this beggar has to say. What care, what consideration, what compassion Mercy requires consideration and consideration requires time. Mercy, can, mercy requires consideration. 
consideration requires time. I think that's why we fail to provide mercy more often. We're so short of time. Can I ask you, do you have time possibly this week to call one or two or three people and just see how they're doing? Would you make some time this week maybe to quick WhatsApp, uh, an, an SMS, just say, hey, thinking about you. Anything I can pray about? Say, Brother Mike, I'm really busy. I, I, I can appreciate that, and I don't doubt it. But if Jesus could take time to stand still just for a moment, even if it is, listen, moms, dads, maybe you need to just stand still for a moment and call your kids in. The little children. Come here. Let me give you an extra hug. I know daddy's busy. Daddy has a lot to do. But I'm going to take just a five-minute break, sit down, and booty tell me what's going on with you. Sissy, Daddy just wants to tell you how much I love you. You'd be surprised. What a, what a wunderwerk, what a wonderful thing that would be in that person's life. Notice something else about this verse. It says at the end of verse 49, they called the blind man, saying unto him, Be of good comfort, rise, he calleth thee. They did not say, hey, Bartimaeus, you've been shouting and screaming. You finally got the master's attention. Now he wants to talk to you, but you better get ready because you're going to get a hiding when you get there. <laughs> they didn't say that. Be of good comfort. Why? Jesus was ready to show mercy, but listen to this Bible verse, Romans 12, verse 8. He that showeth mercy with cheerfulness. Do you understand how you might make time for someone and not do it cheerfully? Okay, you've been bugging me. You've been begging me to talk with you. Fine, you got my attention. What do you want? And you sit there with that angry scowl on your face and that person can feel your frustration and your heart's not in it. If that brother or sister who has offended you, done you wrong, comes to you and says, can we please make it right? Show mercy, but do it with cheerfulness. I'd love to make this right. Let me give you enough time to explain why you made that mistake and let's work this out. Jesus made sure that this person felt welcome. I'll show you mercy and I'll do it gladly. Yes, it's a few extra minutes of my time, but you're worth it. A caring creator. Let's move to the next point. Verse number 50. In verse number 50, we read, And he, casting away his garment, rose and came to Jesus. So point number four, cast away your covering cast away your covering a garment provides protection from the harshness of weather whether that be the sun during the day or the coldness of the night a garment provides protection it's a covering I think we also often put a garment over our heart a covering, if you will. Because when we cry out, sometimes our cry goes ignored. Society doesn't listen. Maybe the people in your home don't listen. God forbid it's true. Sometimes even in, in the church, a cry can go out for mercy. Somebody's hurting and your cry goes ignored. And what happens is, your heart develops a barrier. You put a protective coating around it, a hardness almost, because you're, you've been hurt. You've been ignored, and, it, and it's painful, and 
in order to protect yourself from the coldness of those around you. You cover your heart. And we begin to think like this, I have been hurt too many times and I don't want to be hurt again. So I am not going to trust anyone even if they seem to be genuinely offering me help I have had too many people let me down this person will probably let me down as well so I am going to hang on to that covering that hardness that bitterness so maybe it's the mistakes that other people have made and you keep that garment that covering so that you're not willing to accept mercy and, and it might be this it might be something very very much the opposite it could be that the covering you have over your heart that's preventing you from receiving mercy is this attitude you say I don't deserve help I have made too many mistakes I've messed up too many times I've, I continually fall short of what God expects of me why would he try to be good to me? I don't deserve this. So when the son of David, when Jesus says, be of good comfort, come. When your friend, your loved one, your family member, your fellow church member, your workmate, whoever it is, says, please come, let's chat, let's fix this, let's make it right, let's help. You say, no, I've messed up too much. I don't deserve your time. I deserve to be afflicted and to be punished. I deserve to feel bad. And you keep that covering over your heart. I'm begging you today, whatever is stopping you from accepting that mercy from the one who wants to give it to you, whether that's Jesus or another person, you need to cast away that covering. It might be somebody else's mistakes. It might be your mistakes. But cast it away and say, God... Say to that person, I'll accept the mercy. In verse 51, we find our fifth point. In verse 51, I want to say you, we see caring beyond what's common. Caring beyond what's common. Let me point this out. I've been studying, reading the Bible now 24 years. It was only this week that I finally understood what this question was about. I didn't get it. You can go back and listen to the recordings from Bible school when I taught this story in the book of Matthew four, three or four years ago. I, I, I did not understand it. I think I get it now. I think. I hope. Verse 51, Jesus answered and said unto him, What wilt thou that I should do unto thee? That question has always boggled me. Why ask that? What, what do you think the blind man's going to say? I need hearing. <laughs> He's blind. Jesus, don't you see what's wrong? Can't you? Isn't it obvious? Why are you making me ask? It almost seems to be a power play. You're making me ask? I've, I've never quite understood it this way. What does a beggar usually ask for when somebody passes by? Money. Or, or food, you know, something to get them, some sort of resource to help them in the immediate future. With that in mind, it, it, it lends context to this. This beggar when he had been asking mercy from other people for years what he meant was help me out with a little money help me out with a little bread maybe a spare coat or a blanket when it's cold now we're not dealing with the with the average fricky we're not dealing with the everyday kuabas <laughs> with the everyday tibojo this is not your this is Jesus Jesus says, what, is it, what exactly are you asking for? Let me hear. I am concerned about your situation. Let me hear what's going on with you. What would you like? What is it you're asking for? You just want money? Just want bread? 
Listen to this. He expected more from Jesus. He had heard the stories about what this man, the Messiah, the son of David, could do. That this man actually cared about people like him. Jesus said, what are you asking for? Where are your expectations? And he unashamedly said, Lord, that I may receive, that I might receive my sight. He expected something great from Jesus. As followers of Jesus, shouldn't people expect something more from us? Shouldn't the mercy we're able to provide people be in line with the mercy that Jesus showed? In Acts chapter 3, we have a wonderful story of Peter and John going to the temple. And there's a beggar, a lame man, sitting in what the Bible describes as a gate called Beautiful. And people passed by him as they went into the temple to pray, to worship God. This man sat there. Please, sir, please, sir, sir, please, please. One person after another passed by. Peter stopped. He fixed his gaze on that man and he said, look, look at me. The man looked up and he said, silver and gold have I none. Now some of you should, should say amen right there. Right? <laughs> like that, that's, that's my life verse. <laughs> silver and gold have I none what does he say next such as I have give I unto thee in the name of Jesus Christ rise and walk now, now Peter had been given the power to heal those sort of infirmities right that was a special dispensation of grace given to Peter and the apostles to do those things but he used what he had been given said I don't have silver and gold I can't help with that and listen sometimes you, you can't give what you don't have so I'm not asking you to, to do something beyond your means I want to ask you this God who is rich in mercy has he shown you mercy has he given you mercy has God given you forgiveness has God given you time? Has He given you consideration? Has He shown you compassion and pity? Now can you take what He has given you and say, listen, I don't have much silver, gold. I don't have a lot of resources. I don't have a lot of time. But what I do have, I'll give you. And I'll do it in the name of Jesus Christ. Caring beyond what's common I believe society should see that in us I think every human being is capable of mercy but as followers of Christ having been forgiven eternally surely we can now pass on some of that forgiveness some of that compassion which leads me to my last point chapter 10 and verse 52 If you're filling in the outline, these two words, creating Christians. Creating Christians. Jesus said unto him, Go thy way, thy faith hath made thee whole. Can you imagine the excitement? <laughs> Can you imagine how Bartimaeus felt? Can you imagine as a blind man, you open your eyes and for the first time, the first thing you see is Jesus. And that image gets burned into your memory. Oh, oh, oh. Go thy way, thy faith hath made thee whole. And immediately he received his sight in Jesus and followed Jesus in the way. This man became a follower of Jesus. Yes? That's what a Christian is. I've taught you folks before there's a difference between being saved and being a disciple a disciple is a follower being saved you can be a child of God and not be an obedient child right? 
what are we aiming to do as a church? One of the goals of the church is to go into all the world and make disciples. Not just get them saved, but show them how to follow Christ. Let me tell this story in a different way. And you tell me the outcome. Jesus is passing by. Bartimaeus says, who is that? I hear it. What's going on? This is a Jesus guy. He can give sight to the blind. Oh, oh, hey, son of David. Son of David. Oh, please, here, here, here. Help, help. Hey, shut up, man. Shut up. Shut up. We got other stuff to do. We don't have time for this. Every day you ask me, you bugging everybody. Shut up. I don't care about that. Help, please, Jesus. Please, please help me. Help me. Oh, this is my one chance. And this goes on and on. Oh, help me. And Jesus is walking. Finally, Jesus gets tired of hearing it. And he stops and says, oh, oh, all right. I can't concentrate on what I'm going to say when I get to Jerusalem. Good grief. This guy's yelling so much. We got this big triumphant entry to plan. I got to borrow some donkeys. I got, oh, go get this guy and bring him to me so I can put an end to this. So the disciples run off and they go to the guy and they say, hey, hey, Bartimaeus, we told you to shut up. You're going to get it now. Jesus said he's, we're supposed to bring you, but boy, you're not going to like it when you get there. Come here, come here, come here, come, here. come, on, come on, come on. Man, I, you're not going to like this. All right, here, here we go. Jesus, here he is. And Jesus says, are you the one that's been yelling at me this whole time? Bartimaeus, y- 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 yes, yes. He says, well, what do you want? I think you, it wasn't it obvious that we're busy? How many times did people tell you that we were busy? Are you dense? Do you not understand Hebrew? What's your problem? What do you want? Well, I've, I've, been, I've been hearing that you could heal the blind, and I was just wondering, yes, get on with it. Come on, man. I, I mean, my watch is ticking. Hurry. Well, I thought maybe you'd help me with you know, I'm blind. I'd, I'd really like to have my sight. Well, good grief, man. Is that all you want? Bam! There, now you can see. Go your way. That's how it ends, right? <laughs> Go thy way. <laughs> Obviously, the story would never have gone like that. Here's my point. If the story had gone that way, the man still walks away with a miracle having taken place. The blind can now see. Do you think that man would have become a follower of Jesus? No. It wasn't simply the miracle of giving sight to the blind. The real depth of the miracle was the mercy that moved him to give sight to the blind. That's what made the difference. That's what changed this man. Not the momentary miracle of sight. One moment he's blind, now he can see. He changed this man's life in that now he's not only able to see, but he's a follower of Jesus. I know that I have made this mistake too many times. And by the grace of God, I intend to correct it. Sometimes we think that simply offering an explanation of the gospel, that's all we need to do. If we can just convince people of the truth that Jesus died, buried, and rose again, if we can give them that explanation, surely they will become lifelong Christians. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation. Let's make no mistake. You cannot get saved without understanding the gospel. But in the book of Jude, we read, and of some have compassion, making a difference. You might be able to offer a very slick presentation of the gospel and explain it very nicely, but if you are not offering mercy along with it, there's a good chance that people, even though they understand what you're saying, won't be interested in following along. How do we create followers of Jesus Christ? Sure, we need to know the gospel and we need to tell people. 
but it needs to come from the depth, the root of mercy. And I think that miracle of mercy can make all the difference. Let's all stand, if you would, please. Have our heads bowed and our eyes closed. Heads bowed and eyes closed. Jesus said, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. I want to be a merciful man. And as I have examined my heart, I believe that's something I have sorely lacked. But by God's grace, by His mercy, I want to do a better job of following in the footsteps of our Savior and our Teacher. Maybe today, this morning, you would be honest enough to put yourself in the place of Bartimaeus. Say, Pastor, I, I can't remember a time that I've ever seen clearly the love of God, the forgiveness that is found in the blood of Christ. I've never accepted Him as my Savior. I've never called out and said, Jesus, please have mercy, save me. If you call upon the name of the Lord, the Bible promises you'll be saved. Mercy is available. Cast away that garment, cast away that covering, whatever the excuse is holding you back. Be of good comfort. The Master calls you. Come without delay. Life can get so repetitive, can offer so much pressure. Sometimes it's hard to find time in our schedule to be merciful. When you can, be as Jesus, stand still. And consider the cry of those in need. Father, thank you for your help this morning. There is so much we can learn from watching your son and how he lived and how he treated people. How can we ever thank you enough for the mercy, the chnada that you have shown in our lives? It is a miracle. That someone as great as you could love somebody like us. Father, we don't take that for granted. At least in the moment, we, we want to say that we, we appreciate it. Help us as we go out now, today, this week, to be merciful people. And we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.